This is the first episode of season four of Dialogues with Creators. I'm so proud of the folks I've been able to interview, writers, entrepreneurs, educators, performing artists, and so much more. This season, I'm lining up another fantastic array of guests with some surprises, I think. However, the other day I realized I had not interviewed probably the most creative person I know, perhaps because this tends to be focused on the region of Tattanooga, North Georgia. However, this guest did live in this area for a while and he made a film here. So he counts, <laughs> even though he has lived in California for many, many years. Knox Marshall is a filmmaker and he knows filmmaking in every part of it. He's also a friend. Since he's able to speak for himself, I'm not going to talk too much on this podcast, and we're going to hear from him about creativity, film, and his prolific career. Knox Marshall, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. It's great to be here. It's great to, anytime I get to chat with you, it's a pleasure and a blessing. Oh. Me too. I will say that back seven years ago, I can't believe it's been that far. I was able to go out to Los Angeles and we spent some time together. You took me to the Fox Studios, I believe. Yeah. That's where yeah. we saw the, the Nakatomi building. Nakatomi for Die Hard. Yeah. Yes, for Die Hard. So that was always we'll fun. And some other some other great stuff out there. We had a good time. So you're my farthest away guest. And I want to start by just asking you, what are some projects that you're working on? Wow. Okay. Well, uh, about a year ago, after several years of kind of prepping the idea and nurturing the notion, um, a close friend, uh, another filmmaking friend, and um, we basically, we started Imagination Bay Entertainment. And uh, since then, we brought in a couple of other storytelling partners. Uh, in fact, we just added a fifth uh, the other day. But we together are looking to create a brand of aspirational, positive entertainment that families can trust. And some of our projects will be faith-based, but most of them will just be things that the family, young adults, little kids can enjoy without any worry about woke content, identity politics, uh, any objectionable content like sex or nudity or et cetera. Uh, so within that, we are currently curating about, we have about 60 plus different, because there's several of us that have come together. So we're pooling our different properties. So we have over 60 different properties for film and TV in our folders. We're of those, we have prioritized 16 at the moment. Um, and of those, we are actively developing about eight, I should say six or eight. And two, we have development deals for, we have managed to secure development deals. That means that someone has hired us to, and is putting in money to develop those shows, uh, to pitch to streamers, to networks, to any broadcasters at all, uh, for purposes of landing them on the air. And when we when that happens, we'll be producing those shows, you know, and getting them, you know, the different episodes made. Uh, beyond that, we are prioritizing a couple of independent motion pictures and several live action series and a couple of animated series. So uh, we're busy. Uh, if you want specifics, the re the two shows that we have development deals for one is titled God's Country. And uh, the pilot was shot in Georgia, in uh, the beautiful rural areas there. Our host is um, a really engaging fellow with a great personality who basically is the, I don't really know the term for it, maybe we'll just say curator, caretaker of 4,900 acres in, in Georgia, uh, a beautiful swath of land. And the idea for the show is very simple. Uh, he takes... It's a fish out of water story. We get people who are very engrossed in their businesses, in their busyness and so forth, and take them into the wilderness to fish or hunt or uh, or otherwise just kind of get back to nature and detach from their smart devices 
and learn what it means to be on the land and learn a little about you know, the way things really work. You know, we all go to the grocery store, we pick up, uh, you know, a pound of ground beef and we don't think about where that comes from. Um, it's a really sweet, simple show. And we intend to go to different parts of the United States uh, to shoot with our our host and uh, eventually maybe even out of the country, God willing, if we get a pickup. The other show is called Bulletproof Run. And it is a show intended to shine a light on first responders, firefighters, law enforcement officers, emergency medical specialists, and veterans in small towns across America. We will go to these different places. We're going to have different anchor hosts who have a special relationship with each one of these four different realms. Uh, They themselves having some time as veterans, as law enforcement or whatever. And we'll go to these small towns. We will find one particular person who's kind of an unsung hero in this region who's had an impact on many lives and is at this point in time having some trouble. They've got a crisis of the family. Maybe the child was diagnosed with some illness or they've got a, you know, they can't meet their mortgage or something. And we're going to find a way to meet those needs and we're going to rally the community around them uh, in a way that highlights what they do. So we bring in the local law enforcement and the firefighters, and we have a big kind of community festival where there's competitive events and so forth. It's kind of a mashup. There hasn't been a show like this that's mashing up Extreme Makeover Home Edition with Make-A-Wish, with a show that really just says, you know, let's just let's appreciate and say thank you to our law enforcement, to our police, to our firefighters who are going out every morning, not knowing if they're going to come home. You know, the sacrifices they make that their families make. We want to remind Americans, you've got heroes on every block and it wouldn't hurt to show them a little love. So that's called Bulletproof Run. The title comes from the gauntlet aspect of the show. At the end of every show, we'll have the community festival with the competitive events, kind of like American Ninja Warrior, uh, the Marine Corps Mud Run, that sort of thing. I'm running on and on. If you want to interject. No, I just uh, I wanted people to get a sense of what you do. Yeah. And that's a variety there. But like you said, this is very American values kind of oriented. And that's so refreshing. Unfortunately, too many of us are tied to podcasts and other things and TV that is so politically uh, polarizing, that kind of thing right now. And we have lost the sense of that we are people with neighbors and communities and localities. And that's what it's all about. You know, whether you want to talk about the bowling alone phenomenon or any of that. And that's, uh, you know, anything that's saying, get off your phones and stop listening to these people who are trying to make you mad. (laughs) You know, this guy, and it's, it's funny because once upon a time, what what was it? The late sixties, early seventies, it was like, what was it? Dropout. To, I don't know the, the the slogans, but it was about, you know, there was a big get back to nature, sort of get back to basic sort of thing. And and that was associated with a more liberal sort of aspect of, of ideology. And and now it's like, uh, I don't know, we've we've lost a sense of our humanity in the culture. And uh, Imagination Bay wants to one. We really want to affirm family as the core strength of any culture, of our culture. We want to create stories where parents and kids are are basically supporting one another. Kids respect their parents and the parents are nurturing their kids and seeking to bring out their best attributes and and lead them and parent them in in a way that's conscientious and mindful of their potential. Uh, If you go to our website, uh, which is imaginationbay.com, uh, Imagination Bay, like a bay of water. Uh, you'll see an image, our splash image, which is going to be animated to precede our films and TV shows. And it's a little kid in the crow's nest of a ship. We don't know if it's a pirate ship or just a clipper ship, but uh, he's 
way up high in this uh, crow's nest with his arms outstretched, screaming, Yoo-hoo! Woohoo! And in the background, what he's staring at is this beautiful oasis of a tropical island with twin volcanoes and a beautiful sky and a lagoon, the Imagination Bay. And eventually, over time, that image is going to get populated with other ships and uh, maybe dolphins jumping out of the water. But we want to signal to people when people see this image, we wanted something that would say, "Okay, we're going to take you somewhere special that will make you feel great. We're not going to bring you down. We're not going to depress you. We're not going to tell you that your future Earth is depleted and destroyed and we're all killing each other for food. Um, Soil and green. Yeah, exactly. There's no dystopian nightmares. We actually have uh, a dystopian sort of film that's set about 30 years from now as a sort of Twilight zone what if. But the end of the film and throughout the film's kind of arc, there is hope, increasing hope of how things can change. So it's kind of a cautionary fable. But our stories in general will be hopeful and aspirational, and most of them will be very kind of bright in tone. Um, we got an idea to change that image with like a sailor and a dark coat and a dark night sky and lightning so that parents will know if this film is maybe going to be a little scary or intense for their little ones. So where the motion picture rating system is kind of wonky and not always reliable, uh, we want to help parents kind of guide what they let their kids see, let, give them a heads up in advance. So we want to be, there are some studios right now that we, the perception is they betrayed the American family going audience and they're slipping things into their the content, into their projects that is kind of dismaying and in some cases just reprehensible. So we want to do, we were thinking, how can we do the opposite? So we want to, you know, there's a rating system, but we're going to rate our own stuff as well and mm-hmm. give parents a heads up and say, look, this is great. If you have little kids, this is great for the whole family. And this might be a little scary. So you might want to leave the little ones, you know, let them watch something else or not take them to the movie at all. Uh, But we're not going to do anything that's got, like I mentioned earlier, we're not going to, you're not going to see any films from us that have nudity or sex or (laughs) anything, you know, like deplorable like that. Um, Well, let me, uh, let me ask about your, uh, you, you recently sent me a, um, a screenplay or a a, a script. Pilot? Uh, yes, a pilot for, um, I think it was called US uh, 30A. 30A, yes, yeah. yes. And is that in production or is that? No, we are shopping it around and we okay. have some interest. Um, it's basically um, an updated version of, it's sort of like a Hardy Boys in North Florida. Along the floor, there's a kind of a burgeoning community there. It's just beautiful. There's a number of different little mini cities around the strip of 30A, which is kind of like uh, their Pacific Coast Highway or A1A on the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it centers around two young uh, guys, Deke and Bodie. They're sons of a famous detective. I like the Hardy Boys. We're not too proud to admit it. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, still from well, the best. nobody would know that today, though. Yeah, a, a few, yeah. a few people would, but most would not yeah. connect that. I'm afraid. <laughs> but in the pilot episode, they're they're hunting for a church. You know, the family. Uh, there's little things like we're not knocking people over the head with with Christian themes for these shows, but we want to portray a more, really, in our opinion, a more balanced view of the American family. There's a lot of families that go to church. And and when was the last time you saw one in a TV series that actually attends church? Or yeah, or, well, that they weren't making a joke of it somehow. Yeah, that the, exactly. the father was listening to the ball game during the sermon or uh, something like that, you know. Exactly. <laughs> or, or that we waken up to say amen at the liturgy. You know? <laughs> so, um, so it's a fun show with um, characters who... You know, there's a lot of broken characters in this area because it's a mystery series. Uh, But little by little, there's opportunities for redemption, personal redemption, uh, second chances, forgiveness, uh, restoration. I'm big on themes of restoration in our projects. So there'll be a lot of characters who get a second chance at, uh, you know, 
living the way they, you know, there's a great quote. I want to say a Simone wheel. It's never too late to be what you might've become. Right. Yeah. That's good. And I, I love that. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, you know, it was on my wall for a long time. And anyway, it, that that's a theme that'll be in a lot of our films. We have uh, a movie right now that's, uh, that's based on true events about, a rescue of American kids from Afghanistan in the final days of um, our, our pullout, our military pullout. In uh-huh. It's it's called Trace 4. And uh, we're in talks with some potential funders for it. Um, basically, it's it, there were a number of extractions of Americans when the administration that was in office at, and still is in office at the time. <laughs> Um, basically turned their backs on Americans and pretend they weren't there. So uh, other people had to step in. Uh, these are a bunch of retired special ops guys that mm. um, answered the call and went in. And in our case, there is a faith-based element because the guy who leads the mission was a military chaplain. And uh, and he's a little past, well, he's well past his prime. He's like 58, 59 for military work. Mm-hmm. And he's having some issues with his heart and so forth. But he can't say no. So he rounds up his buddies and they go and it's it's harrowing. The last third of the movie, they're in these tunnels underground under, you know, trying to get to Hamid Karzai Airport. Uh, and it's it's, you know, they're being tracked by uh, the Taliban and so forth. And it's yeah. OK, so now I'm going to start asking you some questions because I have something yeah. to kind of jump off on. OK, for, you've just talked about four projects that sound huge to me. And yeah. I write books, but I don't do movies and movies are a whole different, you know, even just writing a screenplay is a whole different, there's no connection. Uh, How do you, how do you uh, balance all these things? (laughs) Uh, That's, that's a good question. Uh, It it really is like, okay, we, we have to schedule them out. Um, We spend Usually I said, we're, you know, we're curating all these projects and then we prioritize 16 and then we're actively developing six to eight. So they get varying amounts of attention depending on, you know, where they are. Obviously the ones we're getting paid to develop get the, you know, yeah. they get a, a lion's share of time and attention mm-hmm. until we've exhausted everything we can do that day for those shows. Then we're like, okay, we have these other pilots that are, ready to go and you know who are we not reaching out to that we could be reaching out to who do we owe a phone call to who owes us a phone call after a meeting um there we are constantly looking for those opportunities and networking to reach and you know we met with major streamers and some newer streamers uh and with uh major studios nbc universal um so it really, how do you prioritize? You just prioritize. You have to decide, okay, what is the likeliest outcome mm-hmm. if we do one, two, and three? And for some of these projects, it's about, well, for all of them, really, uh, a big thing is finding potential financiers, investors. So fortunately, we have some great allies who are working on our behalf in that realm. But we also reach out to others uh, in Given the kind of productions we want to make and that we want to be an alternative to uh, for parents and families uh, to some of the other entertainment out there, we are largely reaching out to conservative financiers, people who are ideologically aligned with us and see the need in the marketplace. And there's some amazing stats that we've uncovered that the the streaming market, it's, it's in a weird place right now, but it's going to continue to grow. Uh, a few days ago, uh, it was revealed that for the first time, linear broadcasting, which is like the traditional networks mm-hmm. and capers, they represent less than 50 percent of viewing for all, at least all Americans for the mm-hmm. first time in history. And that, well, that, number, that yeah. doesn't surprise me because I've been watching network television in I, I years, yeah. literally, yeah. I, really. And, I have no idea what's on it. <laughs> and kids, kids barely watch it at all. They're watching yeah. YouTube. You yeah. know, uh, little kids, there's whole YouTube channels with cartoons, Coco Melon and, uh, you know, and Bluey and all these uh, 
Puppy Dog Pal. One of our partners uh, was a producer on Puppy Dog Pals for four years. So, uh, but the all the other one, Paw Patrol, is huge yeah. on YouTube. So there's there's all kinds of markets being created that are, you know, we call them alternative, but they are becoming mainstream very quickly. Uh, so we see that as an opportunity. Uh, whereas it used to be very difficult to create something and get it on the air. You know, if nothing else, you can create a YouTube channel and right. a broadcasting mm -hmm. and, and you know that. So, um, but there are, there are a lot of, there's different market, there's different types of uh, online streaming. There's uh, AVOD, which is advertising video on demand, uh -huh. which is like Tubi or Freebie. Uh, Pluto TV, those are all free and they use commercials like traditional networks do. Uh, but you can pick and choose what you want to watch. You don't have to be at the whims of their scheduling. Uh, mm -hmm. You can if you want to watch the Andy Griffith show at three, three in the morning, you can do that. You're going to get some commercials, but you, it's on demand. Right. Then there's a premium video on demand, which is where you're paying. Uh, and there's um, there's subscription video on demand which is, you know, like Disney plus, like Netflix, like Amazon prime, mm -hmm. you're paying a set amount and depending on the tier, you're not watching any commercials. So there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, obviously with some of them, you don't get as much money for your show as others, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's fascinating to talk to you because I, not to talk about our ages, Knox, but uh -huh. uh, <laughs> you went out to California yeah. in the 80s no uh 93 93 i'm sorry i'm sorry. went to u.s uh, film school in 93 yep okay mm -hmm. still that's 30 years 30 years yeah. <laughs> yeah. so let's you know i i have a whole lot more questions about this because you know so much but i'd kind of like to go back to your you know 1993 or before sure. that uh, okay. How did you know prior to that that you wanted to go to film school, that this was what you wanted to do no matter what? OK, well, in the mid 80s, uh, I was studying for the ministry uh, with a. Well, you know, I was a, a yeah. public communications major studying, which was the synthesis of speech and Bible. And uh, I was praying at the time, seeking the Lord. Do you want me to be a a pastor, an evangelist, or a missionary. I said, where should I concentrate my studies? And um, one day we, there was a missions conference. And I, for the first time, I grew up in South Florida. So I knew what mosquitoes were like when I was a kid. My legs were pizza because they were bitten <laughs> up by mosquitoes and I would scratch and they would bleed and it was terrible. Yeah. So I wanted, I was willing to go to the mission field, but I really didn't want to go anywhere where there were mosquitoes <laughs> well, it was hot i was done with the heat yeah. and yeah. finally there was some mission conference and i remember surrendering the lord i said okay if you want me to go somewhere where there's just mosquitoes the size of golf balls i'll go i'll go anywhere because i love you i had been seeking to love the lord more it was something that was kind of impacted on my heart i'd been reading a lot about loving God. And finally, I came to the place where I realized I, I love the Lord enough to just completely surrender to any place. And when I did that, I got, uh, I, I call it a calling. It it's, see, it's very, you know, I can, I can see and hear it now, it, but, but God basically said film mm -hmm. and turned me in to the direction of film. And I was kind of horrified because even though I'd love film and I'd made lots of short films and was always into that, <laughs> yeah. I saw that as a side thing. And I had a lot of people who were supporting me in prayer and even with finances to study the ministry. And um, I knew I was going to disappoint. And I didn't understand. I didn't surrender to that right away. It took me several days to finally say, okay, I don't understand this, but if that's what you want, I will go and do it. And it took me a few years to kind of understand and look back at my life and realize that all my different kind of explorations creatively in music and art and writing and acting and directing and short films and stuff on stage contributed to kind of a holistic sense of storytelling for film, because all of those crafts come into play, uh, including stagecraft, building sets, all that. Um, regardless, it was, it was, 
I believe God redirecting me with a heart for people. And I, I still, you know, think, geez, should I be up there preaching somewhere? But but God's calling has borne out where uh, though my path has taken me in different directions and I haven't, you know, I'm not like Steven Spielberg and I'm not making millions. My career has been pretty steady and he has opened doors up for me in the filmmaking world to uh, to build and tell stories. And and um, it seems this late in the game now that maybe God is pulling all this together, because over the time that I have been in Los Angeles uh, working on screenplays for other producers, many of which have not been made. I've been paid for them. This is this is the, the journeyman work of most screenwriters. They get paid to make films that never get made. I think the ratio is something like one out of 100 screenplays that studios buy actually wow. get made and one out of a thousand scripts written uh, ever get made into something. And even fewer of those of those that are get made, very few get a theatrical release and some get no release at all. They just go into the ether. So it's, well, it's you know, and, and I have to ask you at this point, forgive me, is, is that with those odds. Yeah. You, when you go to a movie that's, you know, or you see a movie that's like, this was bad. Yeah. <laughs> you wonder, OK, if they chose this out of a thousand, what are the others like? Well, or, yeah. yeah. No, no, there's a lot of great scripts that don't get made. In fact, there's a thing in Hollywood called the blacklist um, and not the show with with what's his name. But uh, but the blacklist is a thing in Hollywood of great scripts that haven't been made. Hmm. And you even get nominated to it. I had a script that was nominated to the blacklist uh, that I wrote for another producer. And it's about an Asian gangster, uh, female gangster assassin. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of a little offendakita in the world of the uh, the Asian triad, the Chinese triad mafia in Los Angeles. Anyway, um, writing, it's hard. It's hard. A lot of the reasons those bad movies get made is because they get developed to death. Uh, when, Star uh, when Star Wars was made, 1977, yeah. Alan Ladd was the head of the studio. George Lucas... You know, got his script, I think, to one person, the assistant to Alan Ladd. That's how it was then. Now, like if you remember when we went under the Fox lot, all those little bungalows are filled with development companies. And each one of those development companies has development people, their interns or semi-executives, story executives. And their whole job is to screen scripts that come in from agents and whoever else, usually it's agents and managers. Um, and they screen and there's tears, there's whole levels uh, before it gets to the top person. And their job, the job of these interns and, and story execs is to screen out all the scripts that they think don't cut mustard. Uh, mm -hmm. And finally only recommend a very small percentage as a potential movies to be produced. Their job is to say no, because the minute someone says yes and it moves up, if that movie eventually gets made at the studio or that development company is spending millions on this project yeah. and he loses money, then it's going to come back. And, oh, who recommended this in the first place? Oh, you, you want <laughs> Very expensive and terrible taste. Goodbye. You know? So it's their job to say no. Now, another reason bad movies get made is, frankly, the illicit side of Hollywood, which I'll just say it very deftly that there are people doing deals because they're getting favors of a very ugly kind. Yeah. And uh, and there's people getting ahead because they're willing to compromise their values. Mm -hmm. That happens. That happens. But, yeah. So you went out in 1993 yeah. and you went to USC film school. Yeah. And how long were you there? And then what did you do? OK, so I actually did not finish the grad program. I went for about a year and a half. I went for a year and a half and uh, I had an opportunity with a producer who was the former vice president of Columbia Pictures, who was guest teaching a class. I was in his producing class and um he was vice president of Columbia Pictures before he, you know, at this before this point, he was uh, the first West Coast vice president of the William Morris Agency, which is a very prestigious talent mm -hmm. agency. Um, and so he 
and he had produced some movies that I really respected, like Glengarry Glenn Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also turned out to be evil, <laughs> just a very bad guy. <laughs> but I worked for him for about a year and a half uh, as as we were developing and, and getting ready to produce. And we produced a movie called The Grass Heart, uh, uh, which had yeah. everybody in it. It was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Walter Matthaus, this is basic, well, Jack Lemmon, Roddy McDowell. It was an amazing. Every every part was a name. Um, from that movie, I made a lot of great contacts and I was going to go back to USC to finish, but. I had uh, some friendly investors in in Eastern Tennessee in Chattanooga who said, you know, we've been watching you and we believe in you and we're ready to help you make your movies. And so we started a little development company to write some scripts, basically to pay the rent while we wrote scripts, myself and a writing partner, and uh, and then shop those around. Very quickly, we had some heat on several scripts. Uh, they didn't get made, well, not from by us, but since that one of them has been made like 30 times on Hallmark. Um, and uh, <laughs> really sad, like Santa Claus needs a wife and... and <laughs> And basically that was the idea is like the next Santa Claus in line, you know, it's like a family line. The next one needs a bride. Yes, I've seen that one several times. And, yes. And, and, but before that, before our script, it had never been done. Uh, okay. And that script went all over Hollywood and it didn't get produced. It didn't get picked up, but within about four or five years, they started making various, and then the Santa Claus two basically really hit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, um, we eventually did produce our first film. Uh, it was called All Over Again. Slash, uh, we really re-released it with a new title and a few cuts called Against Time. And uh, the problem is that about the week or two we started to shoot about a week or two before we started shooting, Disney announced a movie with almost the identical plot. It was starring Bruce Willis and 50 times our budget. We were shooting for less than a million and they had a $50 million budget. This was in 2000 uh, with Bruce Willis as the lead uh, called the kid was the name of that movie. And what could we do? We were already funded and we were on the ground and we had all these people and we had signed deals. Yeah. So we had to make the movie and I knew we were going to get clobbered at a certain point. And, and that's it. And the movie that we made, honestly, just owning up to it, we had a lot of shortcomings in Harley. I was young and, and we had a very green crew and we had uh, a 70 year old lead actor who was a prima donna. Uh, <laughs> we won't say his name, but no, no, we won't. We won't at all. But anyway, uh, the film was it turned out, you know, it's tilted. I'll call it mediocre. It's a mediocre film, but it, it has some sweet moments. But we we also got clobbered by the Disney movie, The Kid. Uh, mm-hmm. So knowing that movie was coming out, it was very hard to get a deal for our film. We did get some good offers. My investors asked me to kind of hold out for bigger offers. And unfortunately, you know, we got the smaller offers, you know, because we waited too long. These films have a shelf life. When you make a movie, make a deal as early as you can. And then, mm-hmm. so over, over time, what I have, what's been great is over time, I've, one, I've gained a reputation as somebody who's a pretty decent writer. Uh, so I've, I've written a lot of scripts for producers in the independent realm, especially some for studio people, but it's, it's mostly independent. Um, I've done some animation development as well. Uh, but I've learned a lot about contracts, about distribution and about acquisitions, you know, the different aspects of what a studio does about what the different partners, distributors do, the costs associated with these things, places you can shoot for less money, places where you can have animation done for less and so forth. We've managed to, to really do some fun stuff in the last few years that's uh, kind of defied the odds because, uh, you know, of accumulated experience, not just on my part, but the people that I'm partnered with, you know. So uh, the blessing of networking with people and and pooling your resources, you can do much more, uh, you know, with the people you cumulatively know uh, than you can on your own individually. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so clear that filmmaking is so collaborative and yeah. so community. Well, you know, communal in a sense that I'm I'm not sure people see that, you know, there's the the auteur theory of uh, filmmaking and all that kind of thing. You know, the Orson Welles 
and like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But, <laughs> um, you know, and real realistically, it's extremely collaborative. Just sit in the movie theater and watch all those people that work on it, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to say when you mentioned the, the uh, grass heart that um, there was a time in my life, you know, people talked about the six degrees of separation. And I would say, hey, I know Knox and he knows Sissy Spacek. <laughs> Yeah, I actually went house hunting for Sissy Spacek. Yeah. Yeah. So, She's a sweet um, lady. I'm sure you can tell a lot of stories about people, but we won't do this here. No, no. Yeah. Um, so the thing that, you know, you you had this goal. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we hear about, you know, follow your heart, follow your dreams, all that kind of thing. But when I hear you talk, I it's like, yeah, follow your heart, follow your calling, follow your dreams and work your off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> a lot of hard work. And after after the again being paid to write a number of scripts for different producers producers they'll raise money and we're even doing you know we're raising money for development uh but we are focused very laser focused on production funds but a lot of producers in hollywood they'll raise money from a few people you know they'll talk they'll sing dance go to dinner and they'll raise maybe 50,000 100 quarter of a million dollars and with that they can hire writers to write scripts because they can't sell the movies to studios or to bigger financiers without a script so they need that first so they'll raise a little bit of money to hire writers and then they'll go out and try to raise money for their films and usually it's really hard i mean mm-hmm. Experiencing that now, but we have some great potential, and we, we're going to stick to it until it, you know, really pulls through. And we're—I think we're close on one or two projects um, for independent funding. I mean, but but uh, you have to, as a writer, and and again, most screenwriters in Hollywood are, are me. They're writing projects that never get made or rarely get made. Mm. Well, it's one or two out of ten. Um, and you have to get used to taking those blows because it, it, it hits you, you know, psychologically. It's like, ah, oh, I put my heart into this and nobody wants to make the movie. You know, it's it's not like I'm writing a little, you know, you know, dad gets cancer and the whole family's sad movie. I'm writing, you know, stuff with aliens or mermaids or uh, or gladiators or whatever. And these are movies that people probably want to see and yet it's really hard to get the money for for anything you know in the million you know so um to counter that uh for us right now we're we're actually developing um i hesitate to call it a horror movie because it's for imagination bay but it's a faith-based thriller with some some dark themes but ultimately hope and an injection of real christianity in this movie choices you know of faith uh that we want to shoot in italy for about a quarter of a million dollars so that's that's one of we have big projects and we have a little but that's our smallest feature project uh and uh, like the the god's country that's you know, we're looking at a, a very low budget for those shows. It's a very small crew. It's just a couple of people on camera, you know, three people on camera. Uh, so we have little shows like that. And then we have like the 30A or we have a show that's set in 1774, uh, which is budgeted at about 1.2 million an episode for about 45 to 55 minutes. Um, so we have a range. One thing is flexibility. I, I'm, I'm all over the place here, but uh, what I'm trying to emphasize is yes, you work your butt off, uh, but you also want to maximize your odds, right? So you want to be flexible with opportunity when it hits. So having some projects that you can shoot quickly and for less, but still at a, a great quality level, and then having your others that are like your prestige, your gems, you know, they're going to cost more because there are people looking for those projects. Uh, so we have such a plethora of wonderful projects right now having we have a big board with 16 of them up there and then we have all the others in the computer uh that our interns you know are looking at and helping us think about you know regularly but the 16 are all over the map as far as genre and budget scope 
audience demographic. We're developing a very inexpensive animated series called Kai and Scrub, which is based on the Dax Sander books. Uh, it's about the youngest brother who loves animals and he goes exploring with his pet sea lion. And it's going to be very simple animation. Like, uh, I don't even know what to describe it to you for your guests, but very simple, but very colorful. It'll be like a storybook come to life, but it'll be educational. We learn about animals under the water, on land, uh, about tropical plants and trees and stuff like that. And it'll just be silly and fun. Uh, so that's a very inexpensive show we're we're developing. So we have things on the whole scale so that, OK, this this financier is willing to put up X amount of dollars, but not X amount of dollars, XX, uh, then we'll do the little show. Right. OK. Uh, but we have uh, three guiding principles. Let's see if I can remember them. All of our projects will have broad market appeal. All of them. uh have great franchise potential, creating a franchise, you know, yeah. of yeah. expanded worlds. And all of them, most of them, not all, most of them have some sort of merchandising opportunity. Mm. So for our family projects and our kid projects, that's easy. For some of the more assets, like the Afghanistan movies, we're not going to be selling guns or shirts that, you yeah. know, that, you know Let's go in and bust some ends. We're not going to do that. But, uh, <laughs> but most of our shows have great toy potential and stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. Um, I know that in in the writing world, the publishing world, they want kind of the same thing in the sense of it has to be they really want series. You know, yes. if they yes. want a book that there's if that if it's good and people buy it, they want to have a bunch we're more in, of them. We're in binge culture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I um, here in, in the department, what I do, we have students who want to go into film. And of course, a lot of that has shifted to Georgia because of the tax breaks and yes. and things. And the university system and the tech system developed a, the Georgia Film Academy and our students go there. I've had over 70 go there over the last few years and get their training. And some are working in the field and doing well. And some, right. um, some when in, you know, something like uh, one fella is a um, producer for a, for the uh, PBS station, you know, yeah. in, in Chattanooga. So they're doing ver various things. Some are doing marketing, but to, to be honest, some of them, I think they, they get into it and they realize this is hard. Yeah, <laughs> you know, true. you're going to have to move. You know, you can't you can't live in in our little corner and be making a lot of movies. I mean, you know, unless you're going to start your own company or something. Yeah. Um, and and you're going to have to really, you know, now there's a strike on, so some of my yeah. my graduates are unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they um, down deep, I think they find out. Dog, this is hard. You know, this is your life. This is yeah. uh, sacrifices you have to make. And um, uh, and I, so, I, you know, you moved out to California. You really didn't have any. Did you have connections out there? Uh, not really. Uh, no, no. USC <laughs> was good the USC was good for that, though. I mean, that's a school where you yeah. make connections and it does help you lead UCLA. The same thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's other schools that are great that I recommend, like NC School of the Arts and Savannah College of Art and Design. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, it, it was kind of starting from scratch. It was it was incredibly scary, but I felt like God wanted me there and he got me in, which was amazing. Yes, it was. <laughs> Not because of you, but because of other no. things. Yeah. So other things. And I uh, what's funny is when I got the acceptance letter. I was in Tennessee and I got it. And it, the letter actually started out. We're sorry to inform you, blah, 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 you know, for the fall semester. And then it said, however, we have an opening for you uh, for the January term if you want to come then. And I was like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> and I was, you know, obviously screaming and elated. Yeah. Yeah. And it was wonderful. So. And I'll, you know what? I'm going to sing a shout out because he's a, he was a wonderful man and, and still is because he's in heaven. But Pastor Ben Hayden, he was my pastor oh, in Chattanooga. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 
when I told him that I'd gotten gotten into USC, he was he was so proud because we had become close by then. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he actually paid. He worked it out so that people could because USC was expensive in, yeah. in those days. You know, proportionally it was, and I didn't have the money, but I, uh, you know, he made it, he made it a, a, a way for people to donate to a fund within his ministry that was designated for me. Wow. Tax break. And that's how I wow. paid for the first semester of, of film school. Mm-hmm. So I, I did that. not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 He was, he was, oh, so he's amazing. Happy. We had great talks about his friendship with Riku Browning, who was the original Gilman and the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> yeah, he knew everybody. Too. Oh, yeah. He yeah. knew everybody. Um, so what would be your advice to young people who want to go into film? One, figure out why you want to be in film. Do you yeah. want to tell stories? If you do, if you're a storyteller, then nothing should stop you. If you really have it in your gut, that you just have to tell stories and share stories with people and you have that burning drive to entertain what I call the big wow. I've always had the big wow. It was always a ham, you know, and you know that. I mean, uh, yeah, so no explanation needed. But if you have that drive to tell stories or to to just blow people away somehow with spectacle, with some kind of invention, then don't let anything stop you, but know that you're going to have to work hard as hard as anybody else and probably harder because nobody it's, they say it's it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, it's show business. It's not show friend. So (laughs) there's nobody out here just automatically that's going to look at you once you arrive, like, uh, I forgot her name off the bus in Bowfingers. She says, where do I go to be an actress? You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Heather Graham. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. People oh, think I, like it's not funny, but it's so funny. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I, I laugh from beginning to end. So, uh, and it's, there's a lot of truth in that movie. Yeah. So you got to work hard, but read everything you can. There's great books on screenwriting and, and filmmaking. There's no shortage of great books. And, uh, if anybody wants, they can uh, reach out via the info at imaginationbay.com address. And I'll, I'll recommend some books. Um, but uh, you don't have to leave where you are right away yeah. to be a filmmaker. Yet, use your phone. There are movies being made on phones. So yeah. they're, they're not great, but there are great lenses and things you can buy. Like uh, one of my partners made a documentary buying add-ons to his iPhone and this thing looks gorgeous, you know, Hmm. so you can do short, you can make short films where you are. The editing programs exist that are free or very, very cheap. Uh, You can, you can get, uh, yeah. So the tools exist. It's very democratic. Now I, I like to tell young filmmakers, the new Hollywood is everywhere. Yeah. Because the equipment exists. What lacks is acting talent, storytelling talent, directing talent, and, you know, the production value. So if you are willing to educate yourself and study and watch a lot of how did Tarantino become a great filmmaker? He watched like 50,000 movies before. Yeah. No, he worked at a video store. But I would say start watching. Watch the old movies because. Yeah, frankly, they made a lot of bad movies in the old days, too, but they don't survive. They they most yeah. of them, you know, are hard to find. The good movies are out. So you can look up great movies. Start with the AFI Top 100 mm-hmm. and watch those films and educate yourself. Become film literate. Get a working vocabulary of visuals, of style, of the evolution of films. You know, the first time somebody did a jump cut in a movie, audiences will, blah, what is that? The first time train came at audiences, they uh-huh, kind of, yeah. you know, and we have evolved our our collective consciousness of what works in editorial. You used, there used to be some rules you didn't break in editorial about like jumping across the, the, the we have like, we've called a 180 where you direct from and you don't, you don't edit anyway, that's been broken. So 
the rules can be broken, but you got to learn what the rules are and you need to educate yourself, watch as many movies as you can, read scripts. There are great resources online for scripts, pilots, features, learn how to write uh, in, in, you know, writing has changed so that the task of screenwriting, you're a novelist and, and I've enjoyed your novels. Uh, and and I, I write novels as well for Dax Xander, but the, uh, the task for screenwriting is almost the inverse. You have to right. tell as much story with as little as possible. And uh, nobody in Hollywood likes to read. So that's something you have to get over. Uh, you want to express all this wonderful stuff on the page, but nobody wants to read it. Right. They like pages that are really white with just, you know, minimal description and, and dialogue. That's hard. It's hard to to get to that place, but it's doable. So my advice to any young people wanting to get into film, the new Hollywood is everywhere. You can start where you are. Start. Don't feel like you have to get to a place where you can then start because you'll never get anything done. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Big mistakes. I've made a ton of mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And get friends who are like-minded to work with you. There's right, right. strength mm -hmm. and productivity in numbers and you can mutually encourage each other in a way that probably you can't on your own. <laughs> so. so the name of this uh, podcast is Dialogues with Creators. And I don't ever really, well, occasionally we talk about what exactly is creativity. I'm more interested yeah. in, in talking to creative people and then having them talk about their process mm -hmm. but you know if if i'm if i ask you you know for you what is creativity how do you you know how do you picture that in your head and that kind of thing um the high school i went to had a uh, a course in i guess i don't know it was value what you'd call it values or, or just principles of life and one of them was creativity and the way it was defined for me then which i thought was weird at the time but quickly kind of embraced it was problem solving creativity mm. is problem solving and how i've come to define that is i have a problem that there's a story inside me that other people would benefit from that emotionally they would get a blessing or, you know, they would just, they would laugh or they would cry. They would feel something. How do I get that story? Creativity is bringing that story out. An artist creates something that's inside of them. The problem is expressing it and figuring out how to express it so that other people it's communicated right and received in the way they intend and one way you were a huge blessing to me was impacting me with the idea when i was young younger a lot younger uh <laughs> me too that um communication is not just about expressing what's on your mind but making sure that the audience is getting it as close to what you intend. That mutual interaction is real and vital and alive. And that's true of any art. So my creative process for me, creativity is, you know, I dream of something, I think of something, I cook it in my, my head and my heart. And the minute I start really feeling something, then I know there's something special there for me, especially movies, but any good story is about emotions. Yeah. If you're not feeling something, if the audience, the reader is not feeling something, then the artist has failed. Mm -hmm. uh, there is something either lacking in the craft or in the story itself, in the themes that are expressed. Theme is very important to me. Uh, I love theme parks, right? Uh, <laughs> that kind of goes hand in glove. But, but for me, a great story should have at least one big theme that's clearly expressed and sometimes several sub themes. Uh, and the theme is like, for me, it's like the clothesline on which you hang everything else, plot, character, etc. So if the theme is hope, if theme is grief, if the theme is uh, redemption, then everything enhances that theme. So when the audience leaves the theater or finishes the book, they feel and get an impression of that theme as being heady and important and mm -hmm. potent to life, to their life. Yeah. 
something they should appreciate more. Yeah. I think I think the thing that a lot of people struggle with is that emotion that they yeah. they want to tell a story, but they they get too wrapped up in um, themselves and not in what they want to express and not what the audience is going to feel, yeah. you know, which is why people would want to read it in the first place. You know, they don't want to read it just because they want to sit there looking at words on a page. They want no. to feel something when it's over with, you know, they want to be transported. Um, yeah. Thoreau said most men live lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. So movies and theme parks and roller coasters, right. Are about, taking us outside of uh, our norms of mundanity or mundanity. I'm, I'm a writer. I can't pronounce mundanity. Um, the norms of our mundane life. So when you go to a movie, and for me, this is what determines a hit. If enough people see it on the opening weekend, so it can sustain. If you laugh more than you laugh in everyday life in those 90 minutes to two hours, three hours, if you cry more than you cry day to day, if you are exhilarated, <laughs> if you have thrills, a sense yeah. of exhilaration and thrills and gasping, you know, tingling excitement uh, that most people don't experience that day to day. It's also, again, while we go on a roller coaster or some sort of thrill ride or a, or a theme park mm -hmm. ride, because we're experiencing something with multiple senses that elates uh, that elevates our sense of feeling so if a movie like a horror movie okay scares you again but it's safe so you're scared yeah. and you're scared you're scared and then you come in a the theater oh i lived yay it's the same thing <laughs> in the roller coaster right you're scared uh -huh. yeah. but there's a trust that that you know and it happens once in a while the thing isn't going to malfunction and be are not going to die uh, you get off the ride and you're still alive. Um, if if a movie can hit several emotions in the mm -hmm. course of its story repeatedly, like Forrest Gump, right? Yeah. We're crying, we're laughing, we're crying, we're laughing. And then there's a few times where he almost gets killed, you know, and we're screaming and terrified. Um, a movie like that becomes a huge box office success. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So a number of our films kind of blend. They they have those different aspects. Mm -hmm. Some are yeah. just comedy. Some are just you know whatever. Yeah, it's interesting uh, because the last movie I saw was Oppenheimer, and uh, it's long. Yeah, and it's you know, but there were those moments. Of course, when you you see the bomb, there's a yeah. great deal of uh, awe. Yeah, yeah and awe and dread. And then when he's imagining what his the bomb is going to do in his brain, you're feeling. Horror, you know, in other emotions, and then at the end, when how do you, I don't, how do you, when the tables turn and everything, you're like, you know, you know? Yeah. so even though it's a a three hour, very deep, very Nolan going all over the place yeah. movie, not as bad as that last one, Tenet, and it uh, <laughs> was, uh, I was the, I went to the. That was came out during the pandemic, and I was the only human being in this theater. I was going to go to a movie there, uh, and I was there, and it was brilliant. Yeah. But I still don't know what it was about. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, even though Oppenheimer was all that, and so heady and you know historical and everything, it did have those really strong emotional. Uh, Things. It wasn't a documentary. Just da 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 da. This happened. This happened. You know. And yeah. a lot of that had to do with the editing. I think in the 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 flashbacky stuff. You know. Yeah. I know there's another word for that, but no. <laughs> the constant shifts and the constant shifts yeah. in in time frame. You know. Um, yeah. The non non linear. I think. Yeah. Term, yeah. Extremely non linear. Okay. Yeah. What year are we in now? <laughs> because there's five or six different time frames in the thing, yeah. and you're like, yeah. you know, are we in the 30s? Are we in the 40s? Are we in the 50s? Are we in the 60s? Yeah. Oh, where are we? Um. So okay, I, we we've been on here a long time, and I have so appreciated Knox. I have one other question though to frame the <laughs> to, to kind of wrap this up and. You're a strong believer and you've talked about how this is, uh, you know, 
informed that uh, your your career and how important it is to you. <laughs> but, you know, so many people who, who are believers, Christian believers and talk about film just you know, the first thing you say is Christian movies stink. <laughs> oh, they, but they do typically. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, why do they stink and what can we do about it? <laughs> or is there an answer? Is it, is it yeah. going to, are they stinky because they have to be? Send money to Imagination Bay. We'll take care of it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. <laughs> there you go. You everybody hear that? We, uh, there are people addressing this. Finally, it's taken time, but uh, a number of filmmakers in Hollywood and then others that are greener and newer have taken the bull by the horns and decided, OK, we're going to we're going to tell better stories and yeah. we're going to sign better people who are good at these different crafts mm-hmm. to make sure that the film looks. If you go see Sound of Freedom, which is not an overtly Christian movie, it's, it's really not a Christian movie. It's just a story about. Yeah about human trafficking yeah but i've seen uh, it. Mm-hmm. And it and it's beautifully shot yeah it is a fantastic cinematographer they had a great crew and uh you know in latin america and um and they had great actors bill camp who's one of my favorite actors period mm-hmm. uh plays the second banana in that movie and uh they just assembled a team and direct you know and basically designated it for purposes that were redemptive and it's not overtly Christian, but there are other movies like uh, Jesus Revolution was pretty good. I didn't it didn't blow me away, but I was moved and I was impressed with the production value. And Kelsey Grammer's great in it. But the other guy, the main guy that plays um, the guy who becomes a priest. Lonnie Frisbee. No, Lonnie, Lonnie Frisbee, no. The other oh, Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie, the guy who plays Greg Laurie, the fine yeah. job and the girl who's love interest. So. It's going to be hit and miss. It's going to be like, you know, let's find great stories to tell, but let's be very judicious. It's like a lot of Christian movies in our, it's not on our uh, mission statement on our website, but one of the things we talk to investors about is Imagination Bay is not going to do domestic dramas. In other words, movies that you can see on Hallmark, probably where it's just a simple love story or somebody gets cancer and they recover or it's, you know, there's a divorce pending and then they reconcile. Okay. These are great themes and they're worthy of storytelling, but you can catch that ad infinitum on free television. We're going to give you, if we're telling, okay, so we have a movie we're developing a faith-based movie based on uh, an obscure book of the old Testament I don't want to mention which one because I don't know anyone still, but we're going to do it essentially as kind of a cross between singing in the rain and uh, high school musical mm-hmm. uh, with a very young cast uh, and very worthy themes. And it's faith based, but it's actually kind of leaning Jewish in its uh, themes and the story. And this is a story we draw from. In fact, mm-hmm. the characters that we're going to be using are Jewish because we start with a uh, a Jewish funeral. Um, and so we're going to have, it's going to be really bright and fun and kids, a very young cast jumping up and down and singing and dancing mm-hmm. uh, and kind of impressionistic, but it's, it will embrace great values from a fantastic story in the old Testament. We have an animated movie based on the book of creation. If you notice people keep making movies about Moses and David and 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 they forget almost all the other characters in the yeah. Bible. The yeah. Chosen's done a great job. That's what I would hold up. As okay, I was going to ask you about the Chosen because I love it. I think you know, I, it's done such a good job with the emotional side of it too. Because you just you take those and you're like, <laughs> yeah. I think I've seen every episode of the Chosen three times. Some of them mm-hmm. more. Uh, that one where Jesus, I can't even say it without choking up when, when Mary Magdalene, when he calls her by name, you know, it's just, ah, yeah. you know, and what I'm excited about, I'm looking forward to that last episode of the, I guess it'll be the last episode of the series where they're in the garden mm-hmm. and Jesus says, Mary. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm just going to be a hot yeah. ass. Uh, but yeah, they're doing it right. Dallas and those people, they're doing it right. They, 
you know, those shows are not being made cheaply, but they're not being made exorbitantly. If Hollywood made the shows and they'd spend 10 times as much and it would be awful. Yeah. They're, I've, I've watched a number of their podcasts where he and his writers uh, break down the stories and the beats and think about the season because you want something in episode one to impact in episode mm-hmm. eight or whatever. And they really care. Uh, so people get into Christian film one, because they think we need better Christian movies. Great. But you got to care about storytelling. Yeah. So if you don't care about storytelling, please don't make a Christian movie. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. If you can, you know, if you want to make a movie set in, you know, 1600 BC or something, please don't try to make it for 75 cents. You know, <laughs> go to Morocco, go to Jordan, go to Israel, go somewhere where it kind of looks authentic and find people that you can share your passion, you know, and get the money you need to make it right so that it doesn't look like a little cheap thing. Yeah. Um, we have a number of faith-based films that we want to make and, uh, there, they have interesting themes. I'm not, you know, there's other people doing it too. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm really excited for them. And of course I love what Dallas is doing with the chosen and excited for whatever he does next. Uh, I heard Terrence Malick. I know Terrence Malick is making a movie about Peter and Jesus, yeah. okay. which really excited to learn yeah. about that one day. And yeah. uh, I love his, Terrence Malick. His movie about the, the German fella and the farmer who didn't want to um, didn't want to serve in the Nazi army. Have you seen that one? Um, um, a, it's like a quiet I'm, life or something yeah. like that. Or a, um, I, I'm not saying it right, but it's very slow as a Terrence Malick is. Yeah. Very slow, but it's beautiful and it's very, very Christian. You know, I'm a little ashamed and a little embarrassed, but but I will seek it out today. Yeah, and I got the name wrong, but you can you can. But I think the favorite of his is the thin red line, which is really, I see it as a meditation on the soul. Hmm. And uh, it's just, and yeah, she, he has Christian themes in his films, uh, but he also has just, you know, just bare <laughs> themes about just God and our uh, place in his creation. Right. And I just mm-hmm. love that he meditates because very few filmmakers take the time. They're, they're kind of off-putting. Most people want, you know, they want, the sermon drawing, they want the explosions, they want clowns, yeah. whatever. But, but he fathers to take the time to tell uh, stories with deeper thoughts. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate it, Knox. Well, this pleasure. has been fascinating. We could go on for another three hours, but I'll let you go since you're in California. <laughs> and uh, folks, you you have heard great wisdom from someone who really knows his craft, knows his business nice. too. And I will oh say goodbye here, unless he has yeah, something else to say. Here. Sure. So we have our interns for fall of 2023, mm-hmm. uh, and my my partner Scott. Uh, he does the first kind of screening for interns. But if there are people out there that are interested in uh, coming on as inter- they're unpaid positions at present, that will change. Uh, but for, you know, basically January on, we might be looking for one or two. So they could reach out to uh, Knox at ImaginationBay.com or Scott okay. at ImaginationBay.com. Okay. There you go. Super. All right. Our mission statements on the website. People can learn a little bit about us there and what we're aspiring to do and working on. Well, thank you again for spending this time with us. It's great to see you and uh, best of wishes and luck and all that kind of thing. All that luck has nothing to do with it. As you've said, it's all about the work. So working prayer. Yeah. Okay. A lot of prayer. Bye bye. (laughs) Thank you. Take care.